Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Chance is now working on Richie with the count one and one. He fires a breaking pitch. But Allen connects solidly. And there it goes. It's way, way back. It's a home run. A 400-footer that sails into the bleachers in deep right center. Now that pitch was in a perfect spot, low and outside. And it's a tribute to Allen's great strength that he could slam a pitch like that such a tremendous distance. It's the first run of the game. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Bruce Levine, David Haw here until 11 o'clock. That was Jack Brickhouse with a highlight from Dick Allen. And Dick Allen is the subject of the book Chili Dog MVP, Dick Allen, the 1972 White Sox in Transforming Chicago. And our next guest uh, wrote the forward for that book. And we go to the guest hotline brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, Bruce. That's where we have a special guest. We do, indeed. Rich Goose Gossage. Former Cub, White Sox, pitched for a long time in Major League Baseball. Hall of Famer uh, in 2008 and should have been in long before that. Nice enough to take some time on a Saturday morning to join us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Goose. How are you? I'm good, guys. Good to be on. Uh, let's, let's, let's jump right into Dick Allen because, uh, you know, having, having understood – and watch Dick Allen here in Chicago, having watched your career and uh, the impact on you. First, if you can talk a little bit about what Dick Allen meant to you and and how did that all come about? Well, uh, you know, little did I know as a rookie in 1972, uh, I came out of A-ball the year before. I was 18-2, and had a great year. Johnny Sane, sent Chuck Tanner down on a side day that I had a side session. I was like one and one. Uh, This is in the minor leagues. And Johnny Sane uh, sent word down with Chuck Tanner and and Roland Heeman. uh, They had an off day in Chicago. The big club did, and they flew down, gave me a – Johnny Sane showed Chuck Tanner the mechanics of a changeup, a straight change. And that was my first off-speed pitch. You know, in high school – coming through high school and, and growing up in Colorado, I never needed anything else. I just needed my fastball, but I had no idea what a breaking ball was. And I learned that changeup. Uh, Chuck showed it to me in the bullpen on a side day that I had a side session and uh, showed me the mechanics of it. I picked it up and then I went on to be 18 and two the following year. I got invited to big league camp as a non-roster wasn't even on the big league roster. I got invited and, ended up making the club 
And, you know, I said when I got to the big leagues, you guys, uh, the stars were aligned. I ran into Chuck Tanner, my manager, first off. And then I ran into Johnny Zane. I could throw a ball through a car wash without getting wet, but I had no <laughs> idea what a what a breaking ball was, you know, and or an off-speed pitch. And then the third guy that I ran in, I said the stars were aligned when I got to the big leagues. And I ran into a guy that little did I know as a rookie. I ended up making that club that year, being invited to camp after being 18-2 and two with that changeup. And then under the tutelage of Johnny Zane, um, teaching me my breaking ball. Uh, I said the stars were aligned, and then Dick Allen came into my life, and uh, it was the most amazing um, process or or experience that uh, to start out my big league career like that with those guys teaching me. Dick took me under his wing and taught me how to pitch from a, the greatest hitter that I would ever watch hit. Uh, I played with McGuire, long balls. You're talking about, uh, you know, McGuire and and Conseco. Uh, when I played late in my career with the Oakland A's for a couple of years, I saw those guys. I saw all of these new, new you know, bombers. Uh, I never saw anyone hit at ball like Dick Allen. And let me tell you, that grand old ballpark, Comiskey Park, was these guys would be crying today walking back to the dugout after flying out, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's just how badass this is the baddest ass. And what a guy, not an ounce of bullshit in him. We're trying to get him into the hall of fame and to have played with him for those couple of years early on in my career and watch him play the game. The greatest base runner I ever saw Dick Allen. Um, it was, it was, uh, I saw him hit balls that I never saw hit before or after that. So, you know, that's to just start off the program. Goose Gossett joining us here inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. It's a good book. It's a great cause. Chili Dog MVP Dick Allen, the 72 White Sox, in, trans, in a transforming Chicago proceeds. Portion of the proceeds will go towards Gilda's Club Chicago as it provides cancer support throughout the area. Dick Allen, unfortunately, passed away a year ago this week, this past week, from lung cancer, Goose. And in the foreword that you write for the book, uh, it, very eloquently, you, you describe him in a way that you just did for us. You also included the fact that you felt like he was misunderstood. How so? Oh, I, you know, Dick, uh, like I said before, there, there wasn't an ounce of bullshit in Dick. Uh, what you saw is what you got. And that was Chuck Tanner and, and even Johnny saying, you know, uh, they'd put a foot in your butt. You know, now today you're kind of a babysitter if you're a coach in the big league. Keep your and, finger. You know, uh, what's that? I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, they would put an arm around you, but they'd put a foot in your butt too. And and for ha for Dick to put, you know, to take me under his wing and teach me, uh, you know, how to, you know, location and, and, and counts and you know he said that scoreboard he's the smartest baseball man that i ever met and chuck tanner told me warned me even before i met dick because dick didn't even show up in spring trading he was very misunderstood you know we loved him as teammates uh you know in philadelphia i don't know what really went wrong there or 
you know, what happened between the fan base there. It, Philly's a tough town, but Dick's a tough guy, and and you know he's a he's a Pennsylvania guy, and and uh, just you know the salt of the earth, the whole family, and and I don't know, you know, whether you know he didn't like the bullshit, he didn't, um, you know, and. And if you got to know him like I did, every night we probably drank a little too much going to the Holiday Inn across from the apartment complex. <laughs> we lived in the same apartment complex uh, south on 55. It was Piccadilly Trace at the time, and uh, about a half hour south and on 55. And and every day we'd after the game, we'd have a day game, and we'd stop at a little package joint and grab a six-pack and then drive back to – to the Piccadilly Trace, and, and then we'd go across to the Holiday Inn, and we would sit there and listen. And I would listen to him and talk to him about the game of baseball, and it was the most incredible experience. I wish everybody could could experience that the knowledge that 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 he had in the game. And like I said, Chuck Tanner warned me early on before I even met Dick that. You're going to meet the smartest baseball guy that you've ever met in your life. He had a way of, I can't even hardly describe it, the way he had a way, a, a different way of looking at the game. Incredible. It was, it was, uh, and his instincts and his, uh, you know, he always told me, you know, that scoreboard will dictate exactly how you manage what you need to do. And, and, uh, you know, it was just a, uh, uh, I, I can't tell you what Dick Allen meant to me as a as a young player and as a person. You know, he was uh, like I said. You know, I I I grew up with real men that could tell you something to your face, and you weren't going to get all butthurt about it. Goose Gossage, our guest on Inside the Clubhouse for a few more minutes. And Goose, um, did you ever pick up one of his forty ounce bats and? Did you ever see a line drive go 452 feet without going more than eight feet or nine feet off the ground like Dick Allen hit him? Oh, I, I saw him hit balls that I little did I know I'm a rookie. I can't believe what I'm seeing, but little did I know that I would never see this again. Or after that balls hit as hard as he hit the ball. That 40-ouncer or 42-ounces bat, absolutely, oh, my God. And he'd swing down, and he'd get it cranked up, and he'd point the tip toward where he was going to hit it and and drop that head and then swing down on the ball. And I saw him hit balls. I saw him hit – I saw him almost hit a roof shot to right center field. I mean dead right center. I don't mean – center field, I mean right center, more towards center probably, and truly right center, and it it yeah. missed going on to the top of the roof by just inches, maybe a foot or so, I don't know, because we couldn't really tell from that, that direction, but, and then he hit a ball, oh, I, I could go on all day about balls he hit, he hit a ball in Kaminsky one night at the if the folks that are listening remember the old arches in the back in the lower deck at Comiskey Park, there was an upper deck, and you had to hit it underneath the upper deck. So to hit a line drive through those arches, 
and there was a little there was a little league field back there in a park. He hit it where they found the ball on the other side of that little league park through the park. It went through those arches. We used to just stand out there and look at this and go, I can't believe this ball because of the the it has to be climbing when it goes underneath the right. upper deck and through those arches in the back and to carry where it carried it it's like it and then into the center field I saw him hit the you know what there's been two balls I think or three balls hit into the center field bleachers at the old Comiskey and then the roof yeah. shots he hit three or four roof shots and into the upper decks, and and every time, you guys, let me tell you, this is where Dick shines. He'd strike out three times. I never saw a hitter set up pitchers like Dick set up pitchers. He would throw him three breaking balls and three strikeouts. No ducks Mm -hmm. on the pond, nobody on base, right? Dick had sacrificed. He'd strike out three times. No, you know, why, why waste a home run, right? Now he comes in, comes up in these, you know, ducks on the pond, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, game on the line, come up and I would watch him. I would watch everything he did. And he got, and he would have a different demeanor at the, on this at-bat because, you know, the first three at-bats are he's flailing. I mean, three breaking balls and he's gone, right? Nobody on games, not, you know, games of where it is, you know, and then he comes up with ducks on the pond game on the line and he would hit and unleash the goddamnedest line drives on the upper deck into the fricking right center field bleachers. Oh my God. He hit a ball one night at South Bando. We used to have that half uh, turf half uh, turf and then half grass outfield. And the, the infield was, was uh, uh, turf. I mean, it was uh, uh, the, the synthetic crap. And he hit a ball at South Bando. Bando went the other way. Dove out of the way of the ball. It was hit so damn hard. Every time I saw Dick get knocked down by a pitcher, he got up and hit the goddamnedest line drive back at the pitcher, tried to kill him. And 40 ounces, he wielded that 40 ounces like, like you'd wield a, a, like a freaking uh, uh, wiffle ball bat. Goose Gossage, thank you so much. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for your time this morning, Goose. Appreciate uh, you joining us. Good luck with the book. It's a worthy project, and, and congratulations on your contributions to the, the book on, uh, on Dick Allen. Well, thank you very much. It's, a, it's an honor to talk about him. Thanks, Goose. That, Have a great that, day. That is Goose Gossage, former White Sox pitcher, Yankees legend, Hall of Famer in 2008. Also wrote the forward for Chili Dog MVP, Dick Allen, the 72 White Sox, and Transforming Chicago, a book you want to get because it is a good holiday idea and a good uh, trip down memory lane, Bruce. And uh, Goose Gossage, Gossage uh, he, he's uh, bringing the heat. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't on he our doesn't toes. Doesn't hold back, David. Doesn't hold back. Uh, a lot more to get to, including uh, Jack O'Connell, the secretary treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association, talk about the Hall of Fame election coming up here in January. David and I just did our voting. We'll talk about that and a lot more with you at 312-644-6767. 
Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, David Hall, Bruce Levine, until 11 o'clock talking baseball. And it's time now to go back to the guest hotline sponsored by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And we bring in the secretary treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association of America, O'Connell. Nice enough to join us on a Saturday morning to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame election coming up as well as the lockout that's going on uh, right now in Major League Baseball. Jack, good morning. David and Bruce here, uh, hoping that uh, you're doing well and uh, staying safe right now. I am doing well. I am staying safe. It's good to talk to you guys, and I, I, I hope the people in Chicago are still celebrating the election of Manny Minoso to the Hall of Fame. What a tremendous moment that was for a lot of people in Chicago and, and for the White Sox organization who – did a, ter- a great work in, in pushing many, and it was long overdue. That's the sentiment in, in the city here, uh, Jack. How, how was your, what was your reaction, and, and why do you think it took as long as it did before many finally got in? Well, I was on that committee, so, uh, and I was on a similar committee 10 years ago when Minnie's name came up, and that time he got eight votes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a big proponent of his, and I, I, my, my point in, in, in – uh, in defending him, and I really believe he was a Hall of Famer, is uh, Bill Veck did him no favors <clears throat> by uh, having him play that one game in 1976 and then another game in 1980 so that he could play in five decades. Big deal. But what that did, guys, what that did is that pushed his time back to when he went on the, uh, when he went on the ballot. He should have been on the ballot five years after he, he, he finished playing in the major leagues. Instead, he didn't get on the ballot until 1986. And so by the, by the time he was on the ballot the last year, we're talking 1999, he'd been out of major leagues for 35 years. You wonder how many, you know, what percentage of voters even, even saw him play who were voting in 1999. So I thought that was very unfair. And, uh, you know, he lost two or three years very early in his career when his uh, ball club, the, uh, the, uh, the New York Cubans, uh, sold his contract to the Indians. You know, at that time, Minnie was an infielder. He was a third baseman. And they had Kenny Keltner at third base. They had Al Rosen coming up. They had Joe Gordon at second. They had uh, the manager, Lou Boudreau, a, fellow, a future Hall of Famer as a shortstop. Even at first base, they had just signed a Negro Leagues player, Luke Easter, and they had Mickey Vernon. They had the best infield in baseball. So they had to send him to San Diego, in, uh, which is in the Coast League, uh, to, play, to learn to play the outfield. And finally, when he got traded to the White Sox in 51, you know, his, his career was able to take off. So I just thought those factors – uh, really hurt his chances uh, to, to to be in the Hall of Fame legitimately, and and I was very very happy to be part of the group that uh, that sent him in, along with Gil Hodges and Jim Cott and Tony Oliva. So very happy for many. I really am. Jack, do you think the uh, the Negro League uh, numbers now added as an official stat by Major League Baseball uh, a year ago uh, pushed a couple voters in that direction, knowing that those are legitimate stats that are being looked at and included in Major League Baseball stats now? Uh, they may have a little bit. You know, it got him over 2,000 hits, and that's always, a you know, kind of an important number for, for the Hall of Fame, I know, uh, particularly for players from that era. Uh, it may have helped. It may have helped in his case. But I, I think it was just one of those cases like with Hodges. It was just long overdue. You know, it was one mm-hmm. of those, why are we still talking about the guys all these years later? They must be Hall of Famers if, if – we keep bringing them, them up, these two especially, uh, both of whom began their careers in the 40s. 
And uh, so I think that was it. I think it was there was just a feeling that hey, it's about time. Look, look, look! This is really one of the great players of that era. Talking with Jack O'Connell here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio six seven. The score: David Hall, Bruce Levine, until eleven o'clock. And Jack, in terms of this year's ballot, in terms in your mm-hmm. role with the Secretary Treasurer with the BBW uh, AA, and you look at the the conflict every year. There's going to be something that maybe is the dominant kind of tug of war here between what well, you go know, this direction, that direction. How would you put into context the biggest problem or the biggest uh, the uh, judgment call on this year's ballot. I don't know that there's a problem. I mean, it's it, it's an election. There's 400 different people voting. They come from different states, different countries, different backgrounds. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's an election, not a coronation. So it's it's what that individual person uh, brings to uh, brings to the process. And um, I mean, I think that's the beauty of it. It's you know it's yeah. a democratic process. I think that's the beauty. Of it's it. di- it's difficult for me, Jack, and, and this is my first uh, first year of uh, having the honor to vote. It's difficult for me to try to cut the um, the Bonds Clemens conversation in my mind. And I talked to a lot of people, uh, other writers and uh, other Hall of Famers, in researching this and, and going over and over again, where you know people Hall of Famers told me, well. You know, Bonds and Clemens were Hall of Famers before they even messed around with something else. Uh, and then other Hall of Famers would say, you know what? They cheated. They don't deserve to be in. Uh, the same thing now in dealing with Alex Rodriguez on the ballot for the first time. A guy that was uh, admitted and uh, caught a couple times with uh, PEDs, but uh, was one of the greatest players in the history of the game. These are these are tough decisions for me, Jack. I I, I just don't know. Um, I I just don't always um, know for sure if I'm doing the right thing. I'll put it that way. Well, look, there's there's clearly a divide in this in this voting. I mean, there's there, there, obviously there's people who feel one way and people who feel feel another. As for the thing, I, I've heard this argument before. Well, so and so was a Hall of Famer before he did this. It's the totality of your career, though. It's it's the first game to the last game. So, I mean, I, I, I never break it up that way. There's, an, there's another school of thought that's, that says, oh, well, this person had seven or eight great years. You know, if you're in the game for 18 years, I'm going to look at all 18 years. If you're in 12 right. years, I'm going to look at all 12. I mean, that's, that is your career. Um, and then I think it just becomes a uh, – uh, and I know that a lot of people don't like to hear this, but it does become a moral choice at some point. Did you cheat the game? Did you did you hurt the game in in some way? Did you stain the game? And uh, some people say no, it doesn't matter. Other people say yes, I think it does matter. And I think that's why we have the divide in the voting now. Uh, as for you know, you brought up Bruce, brought up Alex Rodriguez. Um, you know, unlike Bonds or Clemens, who never failed any tests, at least officially. Uh, you know, A. Rod did twice. He was suspended an entire year. I mean, this is a, this is a it's a big blemish on a guy's career. A big blemish. So right. I can see why some people would say, you know what, maybe someday I'll vote for him, but I'm not voting for him now. How about David Ortiz? I can understand, is I that, can a understand that mentality. One? Excuse me? How about David Ortiz? Is, that, is David Ortiz a complicated choice for you? Um, you know, to a degree. I, I don't like to get too deep into it because I'm, you know, I'm one of the guys that counts the ballots, so... You know, I don't want to give uh, to, but yeah, to a degree, I think, I think because of the, uh, 
you know, the information that came out in 2003. But by the same token, he has been totally exonerated by the commissioner. Um, so it looks like, I mean, he's certainly a decent candidate. It would not surprise right. me if he got elected. It would not surprise me if he got elected. Jack O'Connell is secretary treasurer of the Baseball Writers of America uh, with us on Inside the Clubhouse today. And uh, Jack, you've been around as, probably as long or longer than I have. And uh, we're, we're in another lockout uh, situation between the, uh, the owners and the players. Um, how much of it for you because of being around as long as you have been is ho-hum, they'll sit down February 7th, get a deal done, and we'll start spring training on time. Well, I remember, I remember the lockout back in, in 1990, and it, it certainly that one cut into spring training. Um, right. I, I don't know if it's going to be as, as, as quickly resolved this time, Bruce. I just get a sense that, these, that this is the first time really now in like a quarter of a century where they seem to be pretty far apart on quite a few issues. Uh, and we're, you know, here in New York, we're trying to put together, our, you know, our baseball writers dinner that we have every year. We couldn't have it last year because of COVID. We're trying to get it restarted this year, but now MLB won't uh, won't, won't allow anybody to come. So um, right. it, it seems like it seems a little darker than, you know, than than uh, you know even than it was in 1990. Uh, I just think there are too many issues there. And it, it doesn't seem to make sense because everybody's making a fortune. You know, I mean, that's what the fans, the fans are saying. And, I, I, and, I'm, and I'm with them on that. Everybody's making, there should be a way to settle all this stuff. But when you talk to the people on, on both sides, they, they really seem far apart on these issues. Do you think opening day starts on time? I think, well, I think that's the goal. But it wouldn't surprise me if this thing, if this thing, uh, if this thing went on for a few months. Wow. Jack, Jack, we appreciate you, you uh, being with us a lot. Uh, keep doing all that yeoman work that you do for baseball writers and for fans. It's a terrific job. You've been doing it forever, and I hope you continue to do it for a long time going forward. Well, Have thank, a great day. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me on, guys. And, Bruce, make sure you, make sure you fill out that ballot. I mean, you sound like you're a little conflicted, but I, I've known you a long time. We go back about 30 years. Uh, you're going to come up with you're going to come up with a good ballot. I'm I'm doing my best, Jack. Thank you. <laughs> good. Thanks, okay. Jack. Appreciate it. <laughs> Take care, guys. Jack O'Connell, longtime baseball uh, writer, definitely a guy who has his, his finger on the pulse of the lockout issue, Bruce, and obviously very involved and passionate about his involvement with the, with the Hall of Fame election. And and you're you're conflicted. I get it. I the first time I voted for the Hall of Fame, it's it it was as difficult then as it feels now because there are very complex choices and the PED represents one of them. There are other like guys who are deserving and you feel like you're a fan and then you look at the numbers. Not as easy as it sounds, even though it is a fun process to do. It is a museum. It it does represent the history of the game. Uh, There is that argument, David, the greatest players in the game's history should be looked at and should be recognized by people 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now when they walk through that museum. Uh, I'm all for uh, the PED era having plaques, most of them getting in, and, uh, and also a, a little note at the end saying these players played during a period where a lot of players used performance-enhancing drugs. 
I'm all for us doing our favorite segment next. Chicago <laughs> Bound here on Inside the Clubhouse. When we come back, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Was uh, admitted and uh, caught a couple times with uh, PEDs, but uh, was one of the greatest players in the history of the game. These are, these are tough decisions for me, Jack. I, I, I just don't know. Um, I, I just don't always uh, know for sure if I'm doing the right thing. I'll put it that way. Well, look, there's, there's clearly a divide in this, in this voting. I mean, there's, there, there, obviously there's people who feel one way and people who feel, feel another. As for the thing, I, I've heard this argument before. Well, so-and-so was a Hall of Famer before he did this. It's the totality of your career, though. It's, it's the first game to the last game. So, I mean, I, I, I never break it up that way. There's, an, there's another school of thought that's, that says, oh, well, this person had seven or eight great years. You know, if you're in the game for 18 years, I'm going to look at all 18 years. If you're in 12 right. years, I'm going to look at all 12. I mean, that's, that is your career. Um, and then I think it just becomes a uh, – uh, and I know that a lot of people don't like to hear this, but it does become a moral choice at some point. Did you cheat the game? Did you, did you hurt the game in, in some way? Did you stain the game? And some people say, no, it doesn't matter. Other people say, yes, I think it does matter. And I think that's why we have the divide in the voting now. Uh, as for, you know, you brought up, Bruce brought up Alex Rodriguez. Um, you know, unlike Bonds or Clemens, who never failed any tests, at least officially, uh, you know, A-Rod did twice. He was suspended an entire year. I mean, this is a, this is a, it's a big blemish on a guy's career. A big blemish. I right. can see why some people would say, you know what, maybe someday I'll vote for him, but I'm not voting for him now. How about David Ortiz? I can understand, is that, I can a understand that mentality. One? Excuse me? How about David Ortiz? Is, that, is David Ortiz a complicated choice for you? Um, you know, to a degree. I, I don't like to get too deep into it because I'm, you know, I'm one of the guys that counts the ballots, so... You know, I don't want to give uh, to, but yeah, to a degree, I think, I think because of the, uh, you know, the information that came out in 2003, but by the same token, he has been totally exonerated by the commissioner. Um, so it looks like, I mean, he's certainly a decent candidate. It would not surprise right. me if he got elected. It would not surprise me if he got elected. Jack O'Connell is secretary treasurer of the baseball writers of America, uh, with us on Inside the Clubhouse today. And uh, Jack, you've been around as, probably as long or longer than I have. And uh, we're, we're in another lockout uh, situation between the, uh, the owners and the players. Um, how much of it for you, because of being around as long as you have been, is ho-hum, they'll sit down February 7th, get a deal done, and we'll start spring training on time? Well, I remember I remember the lockout back in in 1990, and it, it certainly that one cut into spring training. Um, right. I I don't know if it's going to be as, as as quickly resolved this time, Bruce. I just get a sense that these that this is the first time really now in like a quarter of a century, where they seem to be pretty far apart on quite a few issues. Uh, and where you know here in New York, we're trying to put together our, you know our baseball writers dinner that we have every year. We couldn't have it last year because of COVID. We're trying to get it restarted this year, but now MLB won't, uh, won't, won't allow anybody to come. So um, right. it, it seems like, it seems a little darker than, you know, than, than, uh, you know, even than it was in 1990. Uh, 
I just think there are too many issues there. And it, it doesn't seem to make sense because everybody's making a fortune. You know, I mean, that's what the fans, the fans are saying, and, I, I, and, I'm, and I'm with them on that. Everybody's making, there should be a way to settle all this stuff. But when you talk to people on, on both sides, they, they really seem far apart on these issues. Do you think opening day starts on time? I think well, I think that's the goal, but it wouldn't surprise me if this thing if this thing uh, if this thing went on for a few months. Wow, Jack, Jack. we appreciate you, you uh, being with us a lot. Uh, keep doing all that yeoman work that you do for baseball writers and for fans. It's a terrific job. You've been doing it forever, and I hope you continue to do it for a long time going forward. Well, Have thanks. a great day. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me on, guys. And Bruce, make sure you make sure you fill out that ballot. I mean, you sound like you're a little conflicted, but I, I've known you a long time. We go back about 30 years. Uh, you're going to come up with you're going to come up with a good ballot. I'm, I'm doing my best, Jack. Thank you. <laughs> good. Thanks, Jack. Okay. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Jack O'Connell, longtime baseball uh, writer, definitely a guy who has his, his finger on the pulse of the lockout issue, Bruce, and obviously very involved passionate about his involvement with the, with the Hall of Fame election and and you're you're conflicted I get it I the first time I voted for the Hall of Fame it's it it was as difficult then as it feels now because there are very complex choices and the PED represents one of them there are other like guys who are deserving and you feel like you're a fan and then you look at the numbers not as easy as it sounds even though it is a fun process to do it is a museum it, it does represent the history of the game uh, there is that argument, David, the greatest players in the game's history should be looked at and should be recognized by people 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now when they walk through that museum. Uh, I'm all for uh, the PED era having plaques, most of them getting in, and, uh, and also a, a little note at the end saying these players played during a period where a lot of players used performance-enhancing drugs. I'm all for us doing our favorite segment next. Chicago <laughs> Bound here on Inside the Clubhouse. When we come back, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I'm going to tell you something that you all should know. Chicago is the greatest place I ever know. I'm going to stay in this town. I'm going to live in this town. I'm going to live in Chicago today. Star players may be joining the Cubs and White Sox in 2022. David and Bruce explore the free agent and trade market as the offseason takes shape. Will it be Carlos Correa hitting long balls at Clark and Edison? You and the guys discuss possible offseason MLB moves and speculate who may be Chicago bound at 312-644-6767 on Inside the Clubhouse. Yeah, they can't lock out speculation, Bruce. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7. The score, our favorite segment, Chicago Bound, talking about the possibilities of players coming to the White Sox or the Cubs. And certainly that's not possible now in the midst of that lockout, but there is no reason we can't speculate because at some point in time, whenever that may be, there's going to be a, a frenzy to go out and sign free agents. There's going to be some trades as well. Bruce, the focus of our speculation this week is somebody – who knows his way back to Chicago very well, Carlos Rodon. Will he be Chicago-bound coming back to the White Sox? Or dare we say, dare we suggest, 
going a little 8.1 miles north and putting on that Cubs uniform that Clint Frazier likes so much. You know what, David? He fits on both teams, and uh, he fits for a lot of teams. The, the Figuring out the equation for Carlos Rodon and whether it's a one-year, a year with an option, a two-year, an extended long-term deal based on uh, being healthy, uh, those are all you know things that you look at when you look at Carlos Rodon, who was indeed the top one, two, you, you say, you say uh, him and Lynn were probably the two best American League pitchers for the first three months of the season. Uh, both made all the all-star uh, team. Uh, Rodon was through a no-hitter, was averaging 98 miles an hour in his fastball and the wipeout slider that he's always had. So this was a dominant pitcher before wear and tear and the realities of situations showed up. David. What are the realities? The realities are this. He has had shoulder surgery. He has had elbow surgery. He has been hurt every year of his career. And from in 2020, he threw a total of six innings. In 2021, he threw a total of 132 innings. That was probably more than they thought they would get out of him when the White Sox uh, non-tendered him in uh, last year at this time, and then re-signed him to a one-year deal for $3.5 million. So, David, I ask you, Mm -hmm. does he fit on the White Sox? Does he fit on the Cubs? And will he take a one- or two-year deal to show that he's completely healthy to throw a full season? Bruce, I'm going to tell you, Carlos Rodon fits on any pitching staff anywhere because of his ability to compete, because of his willingness to persevere because of the fact that you mentioned all those surgeries and here he still is pitching his heart out each and every time he's healthy enough to pitch this is a guy you want in your staff this is a guy you want in your clubhouse now what is that worth to you that's unfortunately the difficult part of the conversation because the realities that you reference you can't ignore and availability is the most important ability for a pitcher a quarterback uh, a point guard or whoever and Carlos Rodon if you're projecting out a contract, there's just no way you can guarantee he's going to be available when you need him most. So, you're Scott Boris. You're going to ask for the moon. That's what he does. That's why he is who he is. You're not getting five, six years for Carlos Rodon, are you, Bruce? I don't think you're going to get the $100 million contract uh, that, that I think at one, t- at one point you might have envisioned. You're going to be a short-term well, deal. You got... Don't you think? Go ahead, Dave. Loaded with David, incentives. You got two you got two things working here that can really alter the thinking of a owner or a general manager. Number one, the magic of Scott Boros and uh, the way that he hypnotizes people and owners. Number two, a left-handed pitcher that for most of the season, including his three innings against the Houston Astros in the playoffs a guy that's throwing 98 miles an hour. Now, how can a guy, regardless of his history of injury for elbow and shoulder problems, how can a guy be throwing 98 miles an hour and be considered hurt, okay? The White Sox skipped him uh, sometimes eight and nine days in his last five or six starts uh, just to get him the rest he needed in between starts to be able to go out there and compete. It wasn't great. 
He didn't throw a lot of innings. But can you really say if you're general manager X or general manager Y that Carlos Rodon was hurt? Yes. And I think yes, okay. Bruce. Okay. I'm as well, I'm how as can big you throw ninety eight and be hurt? How do you because, how do you do that? Because he was shut down to get to that point so he could throw ninety eight. Because that was the previous two weeks, his absence was geared toward getting him ready for that one singular moment or that one singular series. You can't have that if you're going to pay him $25 million per year. See, I don't think no. that – that's why I think. he's still. He's Do damn, we know it was all White Sox? Do we know it was no. all White Sox or was it collaborative as far know? as, Carlos, know? are you ready? Carlos, are you ready? Carlos, you're a free agent after this season. Carlos, are you ready? I mean, his look, if, if Carlos was being cautious at any point, I applaud him because his career and his family's uh, assurance of, of, of being taken care of is based on him being able to pitch again and get a, a contract, a long-term contract, okay? Bruce. So he's Bruce. never, never going to starve to death. But he's a, But there's a big distance between 3.5 million for one year and yeah. 20 million a year for the next five. Okay, good points, fair points. But look, if you're in September and you're the White Sox and you're thinking about October, I don't know that I ideally want to care if I'm the 24 other guys in that clubhouse about what one guy's going to do to preserve his future. I want to win now. I thought that was the White Sox objective to win now. I I think you can't. I don't believe you can do both. If you're Carlos, you must be a great teammate, which he always has been, and right. he must also must also have an eye on his future. The guy threw six innings in 2020. David, he okay. threw 132 last year. <clears throat> that was that was more than probably he or the White Sox would have assumed he'd be able to pitch. It's a tough balance to strike, but I want to ask you two questions. Number one. If you're the White Sox, don't you think it seems as if they have already mentally tried to start to begin the process of moving on in terms of ele elevating Michael Kopech and maybe planning some contingencies there? Number two, let's get to how he would fit into the Cubs and where he might slide into that rotation. Number one is I don't know what Keuchel's going to be next year, so I might need that left-hander, okay? So you can move on, be prepared with Kopech, be prepared, uh, you know, bringing along uh, Crochet, who will probably be in the same role that Kopech was in this past season, uh, being extended out and getting a few starts here and there. Uh, that's a, the new White Sox way of developing some of these power arms and, and still getting something out of the major league level. Uh, but um, also the idea that uh, Carlos Rodan, when healthy, is still a dominant pitcher. And maybe it's the Dodger way of doing things. If you look at the Dodger way of handling starting pitching the last <laughs> five or six years, okay. nobody throws more than 150 innings, but they have six or seven guys that can start baseball games. Bruce, you've just devalued Carlos Rodon, though. You've just reduced him to an opener, essentially, if you're going to go that route. And once you do that, you know Scott Boris isn't going to be able to get him starting pitching money because if he's just an opener, then why in the world would he's you He's not pay an opener. He's a guy that can – what's wrong with throwing 24 uh, starts? 
how long do the starts last? You know, is he going to go give you more well, than the, five? The, the, they should last longer after he threw 135 this year. This was like a, a young pitcher starting over again, okay? Carlos Rodon at age 28 was like a young pitcher uh, coming out of uh, AAA and and building up his pitch count after only throwing six pitches six in six games in 2020. Uh this may be looking at the healthiest part of Carlos Rodon's career. Certainly, if he continues okay. to be injured uh, next year and the year after, his career is on the line. But he could be moving toward 150, 160 innings and being that dominant pitcher that we saw the first three or four months of the season. Boy, I hope so, because I love to watch him pitch, Bruce. He gets after it. He goes after hitters. And when he's aggressive and firing, he is fun to watch. Let me ask you this. In the context of Marcus Stroman's contract, all right, he's a guy that gets the ball every fifth day. He'll make 33 starts for you. That's why he is on the north side. That's why they're willing to pay him $71 million over the next three seasons. How does his contract and his signing affect the marketplace for Rodon potentially? I think it's apples and oranges, really, David. I don't. I don't okay. see. I mean, one's a one's a durable right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's older. He's older than Carlos. He's a couple years older, believe it or not, uh, two or three. But very durable. Uh, his durability, his starts, um, the way that he goes about his business was a big part of the selling factor of why Stroman was so uh, interesting to a, a number of teams. Is he interesting to the Chicago Cubs, David? I don't see why not. Why I not? don't see why he – why not? Uh, you know, is there something wrong with offering a, a one-year deal with uh, two options that could uh, make him another 20 or $25 million in the second and third year? Nothing wrong why with not? that. No way. No, I, I agree with you, Bruce. And I will remind you of this conversation uh, next October when Rodon has 15 victories and Stroman's at 14 and 7 because maybe he could win more games than Stroman as a Cub. Could he? Possibly, maybe. He, he, well, stuff-wise, he has better stuff than Stroman has. He's just, it's I mean, just a matter of durability, right? It's a matter of dependability. It's a matter of staying healthy. Well, it's a good argument, and I think one that uh, both the White Sox and Cubs will have internally on Carlos Rodon. He's going to get offers. We know we've watched him stay injured off and on for six or seven years. We don't have the same perspective. We might have a better perspective of what his history was like, but we don't have the same uh, angst. We have more angst than uh, other general managers will have when they look at Carlos Rodan. Well, I hope so because as an observer, as a media guy, just as a baseball fan, Chicago baseball is better with Carlos Rodan. In whether that's with the White Sox, ideally, or with the Cubs, if he has to pivot and leave the Sox, I hope Carlos Rodan stays in the town, uh, stays in this baseball city, and pitches every fifth day for somebody. We have people to thank, thank, including our great uh, producer, Cesar. Thank you so much. Goose Gossage, the Hall of Famer, joined us to talk about Dick Allen, Jack O'Connell, the Treasurer Secretary of the BBWAA, talked a little bit about the Hall of Fame vote coming up. We thank you, our great listeners. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine, on our website, 670thescore.com. David, have a great week. You too, Bruce. Great job. Appreciate it. Good baseball conversation. We will be back next Saturday. We'll be back on Monday talking Bears on Mullion Hall, 5 a.m. Next is Saturday Suckage. Mark Grody, Steve Rosenblum. Thanks for listening. Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.